right? Can I get you to move right there? I like, no. Like, your brother's right there. Could you sit like right there? It's not OCD. It's just, it's just the D. I'm just, I just have disorders. Okay. So. No, you just have problems. Yes. But no, he likes being in the center. Disorder. All right. So um, what I want to share with you today is not something I want to share with you today. Okay. Um, it is something I have had a struggle with this week. And so I actually, I tried to bargain with God not to do it today. Um, and I've shared with you that I try never to do that, right? That I never, I try, this is what we're going to talk about. When God says that, that's what we're going to talk about. But I was struggling with what we're talking about today, this week. And it just was interesting that God had already had all this planned out, and then this is the week that we're talking about it, and this is the week I had to deal with it. Because I have knowledge, because I've been going through this for a while, um, but I didn't want to apply it. And as I was wrestling with God in this, uh, the verse Matthew 7.24 uh, was brought to my mind. And this is what it says. Jesus is talking, he says, Therefore everyone who hears the words of mine, and so... I know what God wanted to talk about. I heard the word. And then the next part is, and puts them into practice. And this is what I didn't want to do. Because as you're going to see the, today, it's, this stuff is easy knowledge. It's hard application. And it goes on to say, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so that was... Jeremiah, if you want to be wise, it's not just the knowledge. So just like Jim was talking about, it's not just the knowledge of salvation that saves us. It's the acceptance of salvation. You know, the scripture says even Satan knows the words of God. We can know a lot about God and not actually know God. And this is the scary thing about in Matthew 25 and 26 where Jesus talks about the the sheep and the goats and those that would come to him and say, and he says, I never knew you. It's that intimate knowledge of God, that intimate actually being a part of a relationship with God. And so finally I had to break down and actually do what I was called to do. So we're going to be continuing um, this whole thing. And I want to give you just a, some more understanding of what's going on. So this week started out great. And when I say week, I literally mean from last Sunday. Last Sunday was a great day. Um, we came, we worshiped together. Uh, it was a fantastic time. L then in the afternoon, I got to go home and have a nap, which was fantastic. It was a great nap. Um, that night we came and we had a sermon discussion, which we're not having tonight. It is Valentine's. I keep stressing that for a reason, okay? Um, <laughs> So, it is, so we, but last night we came, and we had a great fellowship time. In fact, I think we spent an hour afterwards just eating ice cream and just talking with each other. It was a great time. Um, and then Monday was great. Uh, woke up. I had been dealing with a faucet, um, and so I'm doing some work on the house, and Okay, this is how I work on the house. Every Monday I work on the house, and every, the rest of the days I don't do anything. Um, 
And so I had worked on this faucet for three weeks, three Mondays, and then I had to take two Mondays off. And so last Monday was the first Monday I got to go back and start working. Now you might be thinking, he is a horrible plumber. <laughs> that is not it, okay? This faucet is a part of a sit-in tub. Okay, so, so one of those sit-down sit tubs. And it has zero instructions on what to do. And so I've been trying to figure out how do I do this, and so trying a bunch of different things. But then last Monday, it clicked, and I was so ecstatic. I even walked into the house and said, I got it right. And so that was great. I went back out, and then something else happened, so it didn't get done. But the faucet is now in. At least, the faucet I, at least the, well, I don't know if it works. It's just in. <laughs> um, so, but it's there. And so I was, I was on a mountaintop and then something happened. I had to go in and I had to deal with the situation. Um, and it escalated to worse. And then later on, another situation happened. And after those two, that night, there was, I don't know if you've ever had this feeling. This is something that I've, I've felt before, but it really hit me this week. Something broke within me. Um, and to tell you, I can tell you exactly what it was. I am, a, by nature, an introverted person. Now you might think, oh, he gets up there and talks and stuff like that. That's not extroverted, introverted. That's just something. Um, but me, personally, I am an introverted person. In fact, with the teenagers, uh, when I used to do that, uh, we would, after Friday nights, I would go home, and I would have to sit for an hour uh, just by myself, just to recuperate um, and yeah, and unwind. And it's funny, uh, one of the teenagers asked me one time, do you ever drink? And I said, just after rec nights. Um, um, but, but the reality is that's, that's what, no, I didn't drink. But, you know, just sitting there and just unwinding because dealing with people is something actually that was really hard on me for years. Um, but over the time, over the years, I've grown in that department. And now it's not as, as, taxing on me and so but in the in these two situations that kind of, all that work kind of just snapped in me and I just wanted to not be around anyone in fact I stopped really talking um, to people and just giving really short answers really quick things um, I wasn't texting people like I normally would not tr I was literally not trying purposely not trying to engage in conversations with people and only doing it when I had to and so it was really a hard week and on Thursday is when all this happened when I started because I knew what was coming I knew what we were going to be talking about because God had been doing this for several months and I knew that we're t what we're talking about today and I'm like God we could easily just switch these two, these two topics. We could easily switch. I, I'm fine with this other topic. I can do that and be fine. And it was a constant, every time I was working on that topic, it, it just fell apart. Nothing was working. And so finally, after wrestling with God on Thursday, towards the afternoon, it was fine. And it actually just flowed really, really quickly. But that's what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about this idea of um, legalist relationships, and we'll talk about more what that is. But we're going to be looking at the life of Peter in real quick, 
Okay, so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to be in Matthew twice, Mark once, and John twice. Okay, so if you have that little outline, it's going to be Matthew, Matthew, Mark, John, John. Okay? Because we're going to be moving pretty fast. But as we get into this, let's talk about last week, what we talked about last week. Because we are in a series called Beyond. And all that means is we're talking about when, when the Scriptures say that the old self is gone and the new has come, we're talking about what it means to actually live in the new. If, if sin has been defeated on the cross, that its, its shackles on us have been destroyed, we need to start living in the new, in the new creation. And every time we sin, we're actually going back to the sin and, or back to the shackles and saying, I don't mind being shackled. But those shackles have no power over anyone that puts their trust into Jesus. Sin has no power over us. And so we need to start living in the Spirit. So, how do we do that? What, what does that look like? That's what we're talking about in this series. And so last week, we talked about what the first one, which was not trusting in tomorrow. And what we meant by that is not trusting in the plans, or not trusting in our future, or the things that we can put together, right? How many of you have a plan for tomorrow? Some people do, okay? But all of you have a plan for retirement, right? No. Maybe. Well, okay. Not, it, yeah, <laughs> that's the thing is, those that raise their hand for a plan for tomorrow, and those that don't, you can tell who's retired and who's not. Um, but, so this is, so we have plans, and we put plans in action, and we talked about how putting, having plans is not bad, right? Having plans is not bad, but you know when you're trusting your plans over God, by the simple thing is, if that plan changes, do we get upset? No. If we get upset, then we're not trusting in God. If we don't get upset, there's a more of a possibility that we're trusting in God. Okay, so that's kind of what we talked about. So today, it's trusting God for today and leaving tomorrow in His hands. Now, we might plan for tomorrow, but if those plans change, it's still His. And so that's what we talked about last week. So this week, we're going to be talking about this other idea of legalism in relationships. And actually, we'll talk more about what that means. But I first want us to look at Peter's life so we can kind of paint a picture of what we're talking about. All right, so here we go. We're going to go pretty quickly through these, through these passages, and we're just going to kind of look at it. All right, so here we go. Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 18, it says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. A little background, Peter had some interaction with Jesus prior to this. And so when Jesus is coming, this isn't something that's brand new to him. But he sees it and he's like, okay, I'm going to go. I have been called. I'm going to go. And so they put down their nets and they go. This is a huge moment in, Jesus, in Peter's life because Peter, everything shifts for Peter now. Why do we know Peter's name? It's because he followed Jesus. If he, was, if he just sat in the boat and did not go, we would have no idea who Peter was because Peter wouldn't have left his nets. Instead, we know his name because he followed and so this is a monumental moment for Peter in his life. 
And it's important because later on, we'll see what happens. But let's go down to Matthew 14. Another huge moment in his life. Matthew 14, verse 25 through 30, reads like this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Now, his disciples were out in the boat, okay? So that's the context. So Jesus is walking out there, and in verse 26, it says, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, the beginning, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now how many of you, be honest, have ever gone to a lake or a river and said, Hey God, is it, is it today? I want to walk on water. And you pick up your foot and you just, Okay, maybe not today. Maybe next time. I've done that. To where it's like, man, God, it would be really cool if I could walk on water. Okay, maybe next time. You know, but Peter got to do this. This is, I mean, what a cool experience to do this and to walk on water. You ever see those like um, those shows where they try to make it so okay? They figure out how to do it. I watched uh, this one with a. It was a magician, and he said, "We they did it right. He walked on the water, and after the, so they showed it, and afterwards they showed how he did it." And he said, it took 32 people to accomplish this. <laughs> it's like, Jesus did it with one. Right. And then got someone else to do it with him. So that was pretty cool. So this is a huge moment. But then the next point, and it's interesting, if you read through the book of Mark, we actually did, several years ago, we did a whole series on Mark. And Mark is kind of structured in this, it leads up to, to chapter 8, and then the rest of the time, you're heading towards Jerusalem. So the first half of Mark is going towards a question Jesus has. Who do you say I am? And then the rest of Mark is going towards the cross. It's really interesting. But in Mark chapter 8, we get this moment between Jesus and his disciples. Um, and so this is what it says. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 33. He, and it's talking about Jesus here, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Have you ever been called out in front of other people at your failings? That hurts. Especially if it's like a teacher or someone in authority, someone that you respect. And it's like, ow. And, ouch. and that, that's what happens here. Peter is called out in front of everyone. And, it's, and I don't know if you've ever been called Satan. My mom has called me Satan. And it's not because of anything like I was bad, okay? We were playing Monopoly. 
And I am of the type, I really like to play games, like, like board games and stuff. And, and I like to prolong games. And so I would make deals. I'd be like, oh, you don't have to do, you don't have to land on, if you land here, I'll let you slide. But if I land on yours, and she goes, what are you, Satan? Like trying to like do deals with me? I'm like, I'm just playing a game. And yeah, there you go. Um, and so, but this is a, this is a huge thing for Peter because he, this, this is one of those times where it's like, ooh, that kind of stings there. But we have another one in John chapter 13, verse 36, starting in verse 36, where we have another situation. And Simon Peter, it says, Simon Peter, and this is the whole situation is the Last Supper. And so this is, Jesus has this understanding. He's going to the cross. In several hours, he'll be on the cross. And so this is a, a really deep moment in his ministry. And we're focusing in on Peter. And it says, Simon Peter asked him, Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered him, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Ouch. That's another one of those hurts, right? And it's really interesting. So you look at Peter's life. Just Those are just some marks, right? Some points of contact where we're seeing Peter's life. The first one is this great moment where Peter's called to something great. right? He doesn't know how great it will be. He doesn't fully understand, but he follows. And then something cool happens. He walks on water. And he's out there, and it, I mean... Wow. But what happens? He starts sinking. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, why doubt? Ye of little faith. And then the next time, Peter's zealous. He sees the healings. He sees the, the, the demons being cast out. He sees people being fed. That just thousands of people on barely anything. And then Jesus says, I'm going to go and die. And Peter says, takes him aside and says, no, you're not. He has so much confidence in the power of Jesus. He says, you can't, you can't die. And what does Jesus tell him? Get behind me, Satan. Because you don't know. You have a mindset that is not of God. Ouch. And then later on, at the Last Supper, Peter, Jesus is talking about he's going to die. And this isn't something that's in the future, like way off, weeks, months, years away. It's moments. And Peter says, I will die for you. And what does, what does Jesus say? No. Three times you'll disown me. Three times you'll deny me. And then, everything happens. 
Exactly the way Jesus says. He gets arrested. He goes before Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin. He goes before Pontius Pilate. He, go, he gets crucified. He dies. Everything that Jesus said, what happened, happens. And then, yeah, and through that, Peter denies. He does exactly what Jesus says. Exactly. And then... Jesus raises from the dead. And Peter finds out. He sees it. Now you would think that Peter would be like, this is perfect, right? But, you know what he does? He goes fishing. Isn't that interesting? Now a lot of us, we go to fishing to, do a, to get away, Right? You go fishing because I, I'm tired of the world. I just want to relax. Right? We had a friend that lived here. They were a fisherman. They loved it. And they came to the desert. There's not a lot of fishing in the desert. And they hated every moment of it until they finally left. And they said, I left because I wanted to go fishing. And now they live in like three lakes are around them that they can go anytime. And usually we go because it's a restful, relaxing thing. But reality is, when Peter goes back fishing, and this is all in John 21, so we're going to skip over there. He goes back to work. He goes back to what it was. No, not God's work. He went, goes back to what he was doing before Jesus ever called him. Something broke in Peter. He was no longer the zealot. The person that was so confident because he realized something. Everything he thought he could do, he couldn't. And I bet you anything, he realized he wasn't worthy to be around Jesus. Because every single time he tried to do something, he was doubting. He was rejecting the plan of God. And then he rejected his, his Savior. That's a huge thing that was going on. And, but, then we get John 21. In John 21, it starts out with this whole situation where Jesus, they're out in the boats, and it's interesting, Peter couldn't get anything right. I love Peter, by the way. Because I see Peter and I go, that's me. I told the earlier service, I don't believe in reincarnation, but... If anyone was going to be reincarnated as Peter into someone else, I feel like that's me. Because he puts his foot in his mouth a lot. You might feel like when you hear me, it's like, man, Jeremiah is like Peter. Um, but he does dumb stuff. And I feel like, man, I am like Peter. And this week, I did exactly what Peter did. I reverted back into something that I had been coming out of for years. Back into my, I don't want to be around people. And I just saw, when I, as I read through this part, I'm like, that was me this week. I went back to my fishing. What I thought I could do better. But you know what, in the story, Peter is horrible at that. He can't get any fish. It isn't until Jesus shows up and says, cast your net on the other side, they actually get some fish. Well, and then we have a situation afterwards, the actual...
conversation between Peter and, and Jesus, which is huge. And that's what we're going to read right now. And so it says this, John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus said, and again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you, were old, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, the other disciple, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain until I, alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. I love this because again and again and again in Peter's life, he was corrected for the lack of trust in Jesus. Just again and again and again, that's what was happening. Yet in this moment, Jesus restores him. This whole thing of asking three times is in direct relation to the denial of three times. I love if you put Judas and Peter back to back and just look at both of them. Both of them denied Jesus. Both of them betrayed him. In different ways, but they both did it. The difference between them is one gets restored and one doesn't. That's huge stuff. And Jesus doesn't just ask him one time. For each denial, Jesus asks him, do you love me? That's huge stuff because this is restorative stuff. This is something that's huge because this is the Gospel. There is nothing about Peter, nothing, that he deserves this moment. He didn't do anything to deserve this conversation with Jesus. Nothing. We kind of just took a snapshot of Peter's life. He did some other dumb things. You ever cut someone's ear off? Peter did it. You know, this, this guy, is, he's, he's a dummy. And I love him. Because I can relate. And I see it, and it's restorative. This is what God does. Nothing, nothing we can do earns salvation. Zero. Zero percent. I can't do enough for God. I can't do, do, do enough to fix what I have done. My sin, my rebellion against God pushes me too far away from God. Even one time, I've pushed Him away. 
and I'm, I'm gone. I'm in my boat. I'm fishing and catching nothing. And yet Jesus restores. He does it all. The whole thing. Not just one aspect. Not we get to do half and he gets half. No, he does the whole thing. It was Jesus that showed up to Peter on the brink, on the, on the beach. Peter went away, and who followed him? Jesus. It was Jesus that told him, cast your nets on the other side. It was Jesus that called him back, and it was Jesus who said, do you love me? And restored him through the three times. Everything that was done to bring Peter to himself, Jesus did it. And that's the same for all of us. And if we don't realize that, we're going to do just like Jim said earlier. We're going to miss it by 18 inches because we thought we could do things, but in reality, we could do nothing. We had to accept Him as our Savior, and that's it. It's restorative, and the Scripture calls it grace. Getting something you don't deserve. We talked about this, the difference between, mer- between justice, mercy, and grace. Justice is you get what's coming to you. Mercy says we're going to waive the punishment. Grace says all that, and I'm going to give you a Rolls Royce. I'm going to give you something greater. Something that you have no idea how great it is until you're actually in it. That's what grace is. And it's the right relationship with God. And it's all done by God Himself. And I love this. I read this book a while back. It's called The Way of the Heart. It's by Henry Nouwen. And I just love this one out of that whole book. I couldn't tell you the rest of the book. This one quote came out of that. And this is what it is. Only in the context of grace can we face our sin. Only in the place of healing do we dare to show our wounds. Only with a single-minded attention to Christ can we give up our clinging fears and face our own true nature. I just love that. Because the reality is, when a lot of the times when we have relationships, right, it is a, a legalist relationship. You have to meet a standard. If you don't meet that standard, then you don't deserve what I have. You don't deserve my love. You don't deserve my time. You don't deserve anything. And we have these legalistic relationships, and we might not even know we do. Right now in our society, if you say the wrong thing, you can be completely rejected. That's a legalistic relationship. I would hate to be one of these teenagers today. Because, like most, like all of you, most of you, I didn't have social media growing up. If I had social media growing up, I would not be here right now. Because none of y'all would want to know. <laughs> because I was not a good person, and I'm still not a very good person. But I was a horrible teenager. And I, you know, have fun, guys. 
It is hard being a teenager today because anything they say on social media in 10, 20 years, it could come back and they could lose jobs. And we're actually seeing that happen today because it's a le- our world is a legalistic relationship. We work in legalistic relationships. People get canceled today, as they call it. We lose friends and family because you don't say the right things. These are legalistic relationships, and it's easy for us to fall into that trap because people are jerks, let's be honest. Amen. And it's, real, it's a lot easier to say, you're a jerk, you don't meet my standard, therefore, Goodbye. bye. That is really simple. But that's not what God calls His people to. He calls them to grace-filled relationships. To relationships that restore. And in fact, uh, when I do um, counseling, marriage counseling, I always ask one question. Always ask the same question. Give me a percentage of how much you are to give to your spouse. And nine times out of ten, it's always the same answer. 50-50. I said, no. That's not what marriage is. It's 100 to zero. What's that mean? We are called to give 100% and expect zero in return. That's grace-filled relationship. Because it has nothing to do with that person. My love has nothing to do with how they react to me. In fact, I want to tell you a story. My wife's not in here. Okay. Um, (laughs) And so I want to tell you a story. Uh, Years ago, we lived... Where? She's watching. Oh, mute. Um, so I want to tell you this story. Uh, years ago, we were actually living here, and we were a young couple. We moved here. We were three years into our marriage. And she always struggled with this idea of me leaving her. Always struggled with it. Now, my wife is a fantastic meatloaf make, maker. I love her meat. Her meatloaf is fantastic. Um, and she made meatloaf one night, and we got into this argument, the same one we've had for years. And she was concerned that I was going to leave her. And I took the meatloaf, and I threw it like through the plate. And I said, I will never leave you. Stop it. She said, after that moment, she's never questioned it. Because it has nothing, and I told her, it has nothing to do with you. I sacrificed. It was good meatloaf. <laughs> and it wound up, I think, under a fridge. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but because I told her, it has nothing to do with you. My love for you is not based on you. It's based on my Savior. He loved me. He loved me 100%. This is when the Scripture says He loved us while we were yet sinners. We had nothing to give God. 100% He did everything. And what does He require of me? Accept it. That's it. I accept. And that's it. That's grace-filled relationship. And as if we say, I am a Christian, I follow Jesus, then guess what? We are to live in grace-filled relationships. And it's hard. That's the knowledge part. I know it. This week, now it has to be practiced. And that's where it's hard. Actually doing it is hard because, again, 
people are jerks. And I don't want to always extend grace because does that mean I, I can't correct people? I can't rebuke people? No. Actually, we just saw it in Jesus' life and, and Peter in that interaction. What did Peter do? He did dumb stuff along the way. And what did Jesus did? He corrected him and corrected him and corrected him. And then there was restoration. Grace-filled relationships has both. It, there's correction because that's part of grace. You're not doing it right. Right? This isn't what you're called to. This isn't why. I, you know, there's more here. And, and that's grace. It's grace when someone actually corrects us. It, it's really hard to be corrected. And I've been corrected several times um, throughout my life. You know, just a few. Um, and it's hard when, we, when you get corrected. But that's actually grace too. Someone cares enough to correct. But there also has that to make sure that, look, my love for you isn't based on your action. This is really hard. I try to punch this into my kids' brains. My love isn't based on what you do. I will always love you. Nothing changes. If I have to throw meatloaf to make a point, I will try. But this is the reality that God calls us into. And so we need to do this. So, um, but in this, I want to give us some practical ways because within that restorative conversation between Peter and Jesus, um, I, I look at three things that are there. So I want to kind of go over those real quick. And so here they are. The first one is, first, we, ha we have to have a restorative relationship with Jesus. That's the first thing. There's two parts to this. There's the, if you are not, have not put your trust into Jesus as your Savior, you need to do that first. You can't do anything. First, you just have to recognize that you're, you're what the Bible says, is a sinner. What that means is that you have done things that have rejected God, rebelled against God. What that means is, and then you can go through the things like the Ten Commandments. Have you ever sinned? Or have you ever lied? Okay, I'm going to ask everyone here. We're all just going to say yes through this whole thing. Okay, real quick. Lie? Yes. Um, murder? Well, sort of. Uh, Jesus says anger, but I wouldn't mind doing that sometimes. So, yes? Okay. Uh, ever looked at someone lustfully? Who's not your partner? Yes. Um, have we ever stolen th things? Yes. Have we ever take the Lord's name in vain? Yeah. You can just go through that. It's just yes, yes, yes. That's sin. It's a rejection of God because what that really says is I'm God. And I set the standard. And the reality is, no, God sets the standard. And when we break that standard, it's called sin. And so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, all the punishment for that sin, it went on to Jesus. I deserve that punishment because I'm the one that broke it. But Jesus took it. And that's the 100% grace. And all I do now is I accept it and as Jesus says through John, if you love me, you will do my commands. I just follow him. That's all. Now I just follow him. And we have, I don't know how many times I've had this restorative conversation with Jesus. Because now, that's what needs to happen. And I recognize why 
I broke this week. Because Saturday, I didn't have, you know, some people call it a quiet time. I just didn't have time with God. I had a great day Sunday because I had time with God. Guess what on Monday happened? I did not have time with God. And so I was not in that point where I was ready to be grace-filled to give it to someone else. And so we need, as believers, if you put your trust in Jesus as a believer, we need to have that, that restorative relationship with God. God, what, what in me needs to be taken care of today? I know there's a lot, but what today? And having that grace-filled, restorative relationship with God. The second thing, and so we see that with Peter and, and Jesus. The second thing that we see here is that we need to extend that. Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. This is an extension of what Jesus had already done with Peter. And so we need to extend it to other people. We need to stop holding them to legalistic standards. And so we need to extend the same grace that we have. So we have to be 100% givers. Of grace that's really that is the hardest part and the third one is this we need to keep our eyes on jesus i love the fact that peter being peter he just had this great deep conversation with jesus what does peter do he looks at john who's following him and he says what about that guy and i love jesus response if i make him live forever what's that to you and then he goes on to say, you know, John actually makes a little point there after the, what we read. He says, I, that's not what happened. Like, I didn't live forever. Like, I'm not going to live forever. Like, he makes that point. <laughs> like, after this whole conversation, like, as an editorial, he's like, that's not what happened. Okay, just let you guys know. But in that, the whole point is, Jesus says those three words, or two words, follow me. And that's what we need to do. I keep my eyes on Jesus. He's the grace-filled giver. I am the grace recipient, and I need to be the grace giver as well. And where do I get that grace? It's from Jesus. And I keep my eyes on Him, not on the person, because if I kept my eyes on the person, I would kill them. <laughs> and so I need to keep them on Jesus so that I can love them the way He loves them. And so... So that's the last, those are the three things. And then finally, so here's my challenge for you. This is actually what I've been dealing with all week, is this, and this is actually my prayer. So this, it doesn't, ha again, this doesn't have to be the words you say, but this is just my prayer this week for myself. I ask God, where have I fallen short in extending grace to others? And he's really quick to tell me. And I know where I have fallen short. And so I have tried to do, even though I'm still dealing with that, that breakage that I shared, I'm still dealing with that. I, I did some things. I gave some gifts. Being Valentine's, I thought it would be the perfect time. And I gave those away to say, you know what? I'm still hurting, but I want to show grace. And so my challenge for you this week is to do that, is to, even if you're hurting, to extend some grace.
That might mean that you need to ask for forgiveness. That might mean you need to extend forgiveness. But seek grace-filled relationships, that restorative relationship, because it is a better way. And I know it, and now it's the practical part of putting it to practice, and it's hard. But that's what we are called to as a people of God, is that restorative relationship. Because if we claim to be Christians, we have been restored. There are many people that have not been. And it might just be an act of, from us that they say, maybe this stuff is real. Maybe this is. And so we can be that salt, we can be that light to people by being something the world is not. And that's grace-filled. Alright, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are great and glorious. As Jesus said, you love the world, so you sent your only Son. That's grace, because the world is not deserving of you. Jesus, you are grace-filled, and I thank you and I praise you. Even with all the, the people you dealt with, the mockers, even on the cross, you said, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Jesus, I thank you for being grace-filled. I ask that your Holy Spirit right now would move in all of us, that we would be people that give grace, and that we share it, and that we are abundant in it because we get it from you. And we constantly have our eyes pinned on you so that we can give out the grace freely to others. Lord, we have the knowledge. Help us to actually put it into practice. This is hard to do. So Lord, I thank you. I praise you because you are worthy of praise for all that you have done. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.